A reading from the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horab, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, that was uh, a reading that rivals the animated Prince of Egypt. <laughs> so maybe you watched some of those clips this week in preparation for um, our message. So let me pray as we walk through this. There, 
There are some details we can't cover. It's obviously an incredibly thick, beautiful narrative, but we will um, highlight the, the main themes that I think the Lord has for us today. So let's pray. Father, we pray that you would use this passage to uh, speak to us. Uh, you're not here in a burning bush, but you have come in Christ. And you have come to us and come to us in your word. And so, God, we pray that by this encounter, we would be changed. As we sang just now, we pray uh, that we would be transformed, changed by your word and your truth. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. It's been said that in this passage, what we basically find is Moses' conversion experience. He has an encounter with God. And Moses has known about the God of his fathers and his mothers, but here he comes to know God personally, the only God. You see, it's one thing to see a picture of the high Sierras absolutely blanketed in white snow. And I have sent a few pictures of the High Sierras to some people. But it's another thing to be in that place directly. Now, if you're going to go up there this week, you'll need a heater. It's going to be minus one on Friday. But it's different to be immersed in it. It's one thing to hear a great band in symphony or a symphony on your iPhone, but it's another thing to be immersed in beautiful music. You know this, to be surrounded by it in a concert, a live concert. It's one thing to read poems of romantic love, even to be adept at writing them, but it's altogether another thing to love and to be loved by a real person. And so what we find here is is not simply information, but at its heart, what this is communicating to us is a bond that God has with his people, a bond of love and intimacy between him and between us. And God comes to meet Moses first in a life-changing encounter, and he's here to meet us in a life-changing encounter. And so we're going to frame this passage with three themes. The first is the burning bush, verses 1 to 6. The the second is God responds, God descends, in verses 7 to 12. And then the last is answered questions, who am I, who is God, in verses 13 to 15. But first, the burning bush. And of course, this runs throughout because this is all a burning bush encounter. We're told that Moses is tending his father-in-law's sheep out in the wilderness near Mount Horeb. Now, this is another name for Mount Sinai, or Horeb could have been the region of Sinai, which will figure prominently in the giving of the Ten Commandments later in chapter 19 and then chapter 20, it is basically the mountain of God. But here we are initiated to this mountain, and we're told in verse 3 that there at the mountain, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. 
as one paraphrase says it, Moses stared in amazement. And, and though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. You know, as I was preparing for this, I was listening to some great, great music because it's so stirring. You see, normally fire uses up fuel, we know this, but this blaze does not consume because the God who reveals himself to Moses out of the fire is sustaining the bush. And if he made everything, this is not a difficult miracle for him to pull off. And so amazed, excited, puzzled perhaps, even a bit afraid, Moses turns to see this great sight, this sign that God is giving to him. And note God's personal encounter with Moses. He calls out his name, Moses, Moses, as our Jewish friends would say from the Hebrew, Moshe, Moshe. And his servant responds, here I am. Moses did not run the other way. Now, we could pause here. This is a great thing for us to think about. Moses says, here I am. And dear friends, as you and I encounter the living God in Christ, speaking to us through his word, as we read the word personally, as we discuss it in groups, as we listen to podcasts, as we hear Christ's word preached to us, do we say, like Moses, because he is calling our names, he is calling out to us through his word, do we say, here I am? present, available, accounted for. You see, as we see, Moses, will, uh, Moses was hesitant with insecurities, and we'll see this more next week. But through it all, he's on deck. He is ready to follow the commission of his Lord. And so are you on deck? Am I? Are we ready to follow as the Lord sends us out into the world? to share his word, to be Christ's people, to carry out the commission that he has for us. Well, the voice called to him from out of the bush, and it's an interesting thing. It says, do not come near. And Moses is to take off his sandals, for the place that he is standing on is holy ground. Now, it's not intrinsically holy, But the place is holy because God is meeting Moses there. Now, and this has been emphasized already in our service, God's holiness means that he is set apart from everything that he has made. He is distinct from his creation. So to say he is holy means that he is holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy other. He is pure and without taint or corruption. And so this brings us into this kind of inherent paradox of relating to God. You know, it's been said provocatively that that we can't live with God, but we can't live without God. What does that mean? Well, we need Him desperately or we'd vanish into oblivion and we wouldn't even be here to consider these truths. And yet, what we find in this passage and in so much of Scripture 
is that we can't get too close on our own lest we be consumed because God is so great. You see, in a sense, he's like the fire through which he speaks. You know, fire for the ancient people in particular, uh, if you're in a freezing place, fire can be life-sustaining. It cooks food. But fire is also death-dealing. We know both of those properties or realities of fire. And so in this passage, there's this tension between the tender beckoning of God and yet also the threat of coming too close. And therefore, Moses has the only natural response that anyone could really have. What does he do? He hides his face because he was afraid. And so then, how does Moses approach God at all? Well, there's a clue, really, for us in verse 2. Notice it's not simply God speaking directly, but we are told that an angel of the Lord is speaking on behalf of God. And yet, in this whole narrative, this angel of the Lord, this divine figure, as it were, is so closely identified with God that it says that God himself is appearing out of the burning bush to speak to Moses. Now, this is often considered what's called a theophany. That is a visible manifestation of the invisible God. It's also been suggested that this bush then was like a mini temple, a temporary natural temple that is a place of the presence of God on earth. And so the presence of God is mediated by this angel of the Lord. Now, taking this further, Christians from the very beginning, we have thought and we have wondered, we have suggested all the way back to the early church that this may have been a revelation of God's pre-incarnated Son, Jesus Christ, who is the one who brings salvation to us. So you have theophany, a manifestation of the invisible God. You have a Christophany, a manifestation, a visible manifestation of the not yet born Son of God, born into this world. And yet it's because of Christ's, the Son of God's, full appearing. It is because of His mediation that we have just celebrated so fully at Christmas. It is because of that, because of Him, that we can come close and not be consumed. You see, Moses had to keep his distance, but for people on this side of the revelation of Christ, in fullness, we can come close and be invigorated by God's life and love. And that's not conjecture. Hebrews 10 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have the confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, not toward a bush, but up into the heavenly places, through the new and living way that Jesus has opened up for us, that is, through the flesh. 
And since we have a great high priest that is a mediator over the house of God, let us draw near. And you know what it doesn't say there? Hide your faces. But it says we can face our holy God because of the full mediation of the Son who has been manifested in this world for us. And so we see the framing here of the burning bush in verses 7, uh, the early verses 1 to 6. But now in 7 to 12, we see that God responds. God descends to meet the needs of his people. You see, as Israel was languishing and struggling in Egypt, there was no doubt that they were wondering, where is our God? Why doesn't he come to help us? Why is God so silent? And to a lesser degree, and yet still in a real way, many of you have wondered that as you face, um, have, as you faced in this past year, but also perhaps already in this early part of this year, you, you face medical challenges or uh, the aging of your loved ones. You're wondering about the economy. There are strains in relationships. In these scenarios, we wonder sometimes God, why are you silent and where are you? And one writer has said about the situation of Israel, contrary to what Israel might have assumed because of their suffering in Egypt, contrary to that experience, God responds, and here at last, God shows up. He shows up with words and deeds that will rock the very foundations of Egypt and that will form Israel for the rest of their existence. This continues to be a formative account thousands of years later. God says, and I want you to notice, I'm going to kind of condense some of the words here. I want you to notice all the strong verbs in this account. He says, I have seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, their their slave owners. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians. And I have seen, again, the word see, the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. So God sees, God hears, God knows, God acts, God moves, God descends, and most importantly, the culmination of that is God comes to deliver. And so the Creator is the God who relates to His people, friends, to us, with great devotion and great personal compassion. He is saying to Moses, they, my people, they belong to me and not to Pharaoh, not to any so-called gods. And he says the same to us who are in Christ. You see, in Christ, God has brought us out of the bondage of our sin and our death, out of the bondage of our slavery to the power of Satan, And He has brought us to bond with Him in the land that He has promised. Now that land, of course, has a historical fulfillment 
in the place of Israel, but ultimately the New Testament says that promised place is the the new heavens and the new earth. When God's entire new creation will be like a temple and a garden and a promised land where God is in the midst of his people. And so he says to you and me, you belong to me. You are mine. And you see, this is all, again, a life-changing encounter. This is what Moses is going through, and he wants, God wants the people of Israel to also, through Moses' ministry, to experience this life-changing encounter. Now, it needs to come home to us. Uh, on Friday, the men met down in the office and on Zoom, and we, we had our men's prayer, our monthly men's prayer, uh, prayer meeting. And we went through Psalm 98, and in that psalm, it talks about the love of God that has come to save us, and that, that we rejoice in this love, that we give thanks. It's like a new song to us, uh, in a way, every day. But we went around and shared when this message really came new to us uh, for the first time. In other words, when were we first... Um, changed by the message of salvation? When did the gospel grip us? And it it was amazing because we went around the room and at least three men, um, north of 45, (laughs) maybe even quite a bit north of 45, all said, you know, for me it was in seventh grade when I heard the message of salvation, or I read a Bible that a neighbor gave to me, and I knew that this was not just something that was information, but I came to know the living God. And so I want to say to you middle schoolers, listen up. (laughs) This is an important time in your lives to hear the message of the fact that God has descended to deliver you from your sins and to make you his person. He he wants to say to you, look, you belong to me and you need to say to him, I belong to you. This message needs to be very personal to you. But I want to also say to you who have been walking with God for a long time that Part of what this message is, is that God is with you in your suffering. And so often over the years, I've watched you affirm God's presence with you as you go through cancer, as as you deal with um, uh, a job loss or a relational break. You wrestle to this place where you know that God is saying to you, and I want you to hear this again, God says, I see you. I hear you in your afflictions. I know you. I care about you. And I have descended to you to deliver you. Our God is responsive. And so now we come to the last portion, the, the answered questions who am I and who is God in verses 13 to 15 you see Moses first question was was framed as a kind of objection and we can understand this 
in light of what this interaction is. Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now think about that. How can I, Moses is saying, how can I stand up to the most powerful man as a shepherd, a simple shepherd, how can I stand up to the most powerful man known in that part of the world? Now there's probably just some genuine insecurity here as we will see next week. Moses seems to be saying, couldn't you pick someone more qualified, someone more eloquent? In modern terms, I think we could call this the imposter syndrome. And I have heard in the last um, 12 months or so, people that, that seem just so strong in what they do for the Lord and in their work, people who are capable... I've heard some folks admit, you know, sometimes I go into the room and I, I, I have that feeling of imposter syndrome. Do I really belong here? Am I fully qualified? Am I up to the task? Well, let me tell you, sometimes our self-doubting can be a good thing. One writer has said, self-distrust uh, is good and it's only good if it leads us to trusting God. And I think that's where Moses gets to. Is your distrust in yourself leading you to trust God more? Well, God will carry out his purposes through Moses using not only Moses' gifts, but also his flaws. And so notice how God answers Moses. It's so amazing. He, he doesn't, you know, say, hey, you've got great leadership skills, which eventually it's clear that Moses does. He's not building up Moses' unique talent compared to everyone else around him. But to Moses' question, who am I, God responds with, I will be with you. I will be with you. The writer Anthony Salvaggio said, God filled the void of Moses' self-acknowledged weakness with the fullness of his loving assurance. Dear friends, that's what we need. You know, we need to encourage each other and notice each other's gifts and talents. But at the end of the day, what we all most need, especially when we're facing trials, is, listen, the Lord says to you, I, will be with you. I mean, think about the end of Matthew's Gospel where Jesus commissions his disciples to go out into the world and to make disciples baptizing the nations in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. That is quite a commission. And we're not told that he goes to each disciple and names all their, their gifts and their you know, Enneagram numbers and all their weaknesses and strengths, what he says to them is picking up the language of Exodus 3. I will be with you even to the end of the age. And that's the comfort that we all need and the commission that God has given to us to be his people. You know, sometimes we wonder if we're up to the task. We we can have the imposter syndrome with all sorts of things that, that we have to do in the world. You know, I think for some, it's, it can be simply having your first child. 
Um, I remember that before our eldest Garrett was born, it's like, um, I don't know if I know how to do this. <laughs> um, one new mom joked about all that she felt trying to maintain her life and be a good mom. She said, both of us can't look good at the same time. It's me or the house. Parents can feel overwhelmed, especially with the first child, but really maybe even more with the second, third, and fourth children. Or you feel this kind of, who am I, when you go from high school and you jump into the university context and you have more reading assignments than you've ever had because they're intentionally giving you more reading assignments than you can even finish. I was told that in seminary on the first day. You, you can't finish this. Here it is. And you think, who am I? Or we wonder, how can we share our faith with someone who doesn't know Christ? Or, or how can we stand for Christ in a culture that is increasingly hostile to the message of Christ? Sometimes, let's be honest, with the fury of Pharaoh. How can we do this? Who am I? Who are you? And when we ask ourselves that question and we feel insecure and we start to stammer, like Moses, by the way, and our knees knock, the Lord assures us, I will be with you. I am with you. Now, as Moses has asked the question about who he is, it, it brings us to the larger, more significant question, which grounds everything. Because, friends, this is not ultimately about psychology. It's about theology. In verse th uh, 13, Moses asks, What shall I tell them when they ask, Who has sent me? That's a fair question. Who are you, God? What's your name? You see, especially in the ancient cultures, when a person named themselves, they were identifying who they are. And so it is God who names himself. He identifies himself with this mysterious and beautiful phrase. He says, I am who I am. The Hebrew is a yeh asher a yeh. And it's basically the letters Y-H-W-H. You fill in the vowels. Um, our Jewish friends usually do not utter the name, but it's Yahweh. And what it is, this name, is it's basically the verb to be. I am who I am. God is saying that he is being itself. He is beyond being, really. It's been said he is the ground of all being. In other words, you see, every part of creation, every part of the material world, world needs a cause. Nothing pops into existence on its own. But God is saying here, he is not part of that chain of finite causes. God is the uncaused cause. He is outside of it all, and he created it all. He is the only one who can say, I am who I am. You see, there is never a time that he was not. He always was. God is dependent on nothing, but everything is dependent on him. 
God alone is self-existent, friends. God alone is self-sufficient. The Dutch theologian Herman Bovink wrote about this passage. God is that which he calls himself, and he calls himself that which he is. <laughs> now, a wisecracker could say, wait a minute, that's a circular argument. Exactly. <laughs> God is the only circle that needs no beginning or nothing outside of him to bring him into being or to sustain him. But this is not ultimately a philosophical puzzle. It is extremely relational. What God is saying to Moses is, it is I am who is with you. And he clarifies this and makes it more specific. He says, I am who I am, and I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And I am here. I am really present. I am ready to help. And I am sending you. You see, I am the Lord of history, and I have now entered history to work in a unique way like I never have before, to act on behalf of my people. And he, he did so not only to redeem Israel out of Egypt, but again to redeem us from our slavery to sin and to death and to, and to the devil. And friends, it's such good news or we would be in bondage forever. But God has come in history in the person of Christ to release us from bondage and to bond us to himself in a loving, devoted relationship. And you see, this gives us kind of a dual feeling. It is humbling. How is it humbling? Because it says we can't be our own I am's. In other words, our own self-sufficiency. And that's pretty humbling. A lot of people in our culture need to hear that. You know, self-made people. Now, only God is I am who I am. And so it's humbling, but it's also liberating. Because it's saying we don't have to be our own I am's, our own saviors. And there's so much pressure on us to be that. You see, the world gives to us so many self-redemption, self-salvation projects, doesn't it? And it tells us that we have to look within to find answers. There's a, a French philosopher named Luc Ferry. Uh, he's, he's a contemporary teacher. And he says, he's an atheist, he says, we have to get ourselves out of the trouble of this world by utilizing our own resources. We have to look within. We have to say, I am. I am the only one who can deliver myself. And so many people are exhausting themselves trying to do this, trying to construct an identity, trying to make a name for themselves, right? I mean, how do we try to define ourselves? We do it by maintaining beauty as we age, trying to do that. 
We do it with our work and the things that we write, holding, uh, hoping that those things continue on. Frankly, we do it with our ministries, and there are too many people in ministry who are using that context to build up their egos, and all in ministry need to watch out for that temptation. I do too. We do it with building houses, but more so by building our families. And we say, I am, and I am the one who has to deliver myself. But see, at the end of the day, the the self-salvation projects, these efforts to define ourselves, they collapse. But God says to us, when we ask, who am I? Again, his response is the loving revelation. I am who I am, and I am with you. Well, we're going to conclude here by looking at this phrase, I am who I am, and considering how Jesus in John's gospel said again and again, I am. He said, I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. I am the door for the sheep. But in particular, in John 8, he said uh, he was speaking to the religious leaders about who he was, and they were bragging and said, well, we could say that, you know, Abraham is our father. And Jesus takes the, the phrase that was used here in Exodus 3, but he puts it in Greek, not in Hebrew, And in John 8, he says, before Abraham was, I am. The Greek is ego eimi, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. I am distinct from my father, yet the same self-existent in essence, sharing his nature. And then we're told that's why some of the religious leaders wanted to stone him because they knew what he was saying and they thought it was blasphemy. But friends, for us who believe, it is good news. Jesus says to us, I am who I am and I am here, really present, ready to help you. You see, Jesus doesn't look down on you, but with the language of Exodus 3, he has come down to us. And in this encounter in Exodus 3, Moses was never the same. And so I want to say to us today, don't leave an encounter with Christ the same. God meets you to change you. And I don't know what that needs to be today, but... He does. So ask him and say, Lord, here I am. And you will be changed. Let's pray before we take the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you for this beautiful life-changing encounter in Exodus 3. And we pray that as it comes to us through your word that, that we would be changed. 
that we would know that we meet you here today, not ultimately in the burning bush, but in your Son, prefigured by the angel of the Lord in this passage. We thank you that Jesus descended to become one of us, that he sees us, that he hears us, that he knows our trials and struggles. And we thank you that he is the Holy One that allows us to come into your presence. We thank you that we don't have to hide our faces from you, but that we can face you and not be consumed because of Jesus and his work. God, we pray that you would have your way with us. Help us to say, here I am. We pray that we would be changed by this encounter. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.